Hello, hello. I am Karen Jean-François, and this is the Women in Data podcast. Join me every other week to hear data professionals discuss how data is used in various industries, get inspired, get your fill of tips to help you overcome challenges on your career, and feel great. Let's get straight into it. Hello, we are closing the celebration of the anniversary of the podcast in style with Bianca Partington, Head of Customer Decisioning and Digital Analytics at NatWest. As the number of data teams grows across the globe, many managers find themselves managing teams that are much more technical than they are. This is exactly the situation Bianca finds herself in. And in this conversation, she shares her approach to managing a data team. She also gives her best tips for managers coming from a technical background and for those who, like her, did not initially set up for a career in data. What an episode. I walked out of this conversation feeling so energized and inspired. Before we get to it, I just wanted to say thank you so much for listening and supporting the podcast. It's been really heartwarming to read all your messages in the last year. One last thing, we are growing the podcast production team and are looking for some volunteers to support with editing, PR and social media and much more. So if you have a couple of hours to spare from time to time and would like to help, you will find my LinkedIn in the show notes. Send me a message. All right, enough of that. Let's listen to Bianca. Hi, Bianca. Good morning, Karen. How are you? Yeah, I'm very good. Welcome to the Women in Data podcast. You are the closing episode for the anniversary of the podcast. It's been a crazy month. It's been very busy, but I'm so happy with all the episodes that we've done. And I'm very pleased that I'm closing these anniversary celebrations with you. Excellent. Well, thank you for having me. A couple of weeks ago on the podcast, I had Kavya, who was talking about the fact that she had to step up into a role of head of data. And she felt a bit of an imposter syndrome because she is not as technical as her team. And I told her, oh, I think this is a problem I've heard several times. And I thought the best person to talk about that would be you. So thank you for joining us on the podcast to talk about managing data teams today. Before we get into it, could you give us a bit of background of yourself? Sure. So at the moment, I currently lead a team of about 70 people in data and analytics at at NatWest, uh, which is a large UK bank. But as you say, my background is not technical at all. And I didn't actually know a single thing about data before three years ago, really. So my background is really risk management. So I've spent most of my career in risk, building risk frameworks, understanding risk, implementing risk across different banks. I did a bit of consulting on the side as well, but always in risk. So before taking on this role three years ago, I didn't really know anything about data. So my background is, has always been something fairly non-technical. And even in risk, it was non-technical. It was, it was building frameworks. So it's, yeah, it's been quite a journey over the last few years. It sounds like a big jump. So not mm-hmm. technical, working in risk framework and managing, mm-hmm. you said 70 people? Yeah, at the moment. Yeah, I mean, that's full-time contractors and graduates. But yeah, it's a, it's a fairly large team. There's a, a lot going on. 
Wow. What it is that they, they do? What is it? So my team is really split into, I would say, two areas, right? So what we call decisioning science and digital analytics. So decisioning science, for those who aren't kind of familiar with the term, is really about using data in a really smart way to talk to the customer about the right thing at the right time through their preferred method of communication. So if you think about all of the data the bank has, right? On a customer, we know it's products. We know we've got industry knowledge. We've accessed all their banking transactions. We track all of their customer behavior online. Uh, we know when they call in a telephony center. So the, the wealth of data that we have in our customers, particularly for banks, is enormous. So decision science is about using that data, predicting models, predicting things about that will have the highest propensity for the customer to engage with us to really meet customer needs and make sure that we're talking to the customer about those needs at the exact time that they need what they need. The other half of my team is what we call digital analytics. So that's really about pushing the digital journey, right? So making sure it's the best digital journey for our customers. It's simple, it's easy to use, it gets them where they need to go online. And that's really about things like A-B testing on website pages. So different ways that the website page can look can drive customers in different ways. So we do a lot of website testing, a lot of personalization, but it's really all about making sure that our digital journey for customers is the best that it can be. So that's the, the two sides of my team. It's quite frankly, a fascinating part of data analytics to work in because it directly touches the customer. And I think it's really interesting what we're doing. And it's really the future of where we want to go for the bank as well. Yeah, it does sound extremely fascinating, especially the, the first um, group you mentioned. So the decision science part of your team, it definitely resonates with me. And I have to admit that transactional data is something that gets me really high on excitement. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I just love it. How did you come across that team? How did you start managing them? So as I said, I've been doing risk probably about 15, 16 years at that point. And I was really just ready for something different. When I started out in risk, it was a really exciting place to be. We'd gone through some financial crises, especially where I'm from, which is Canada, where we had financial crisis before the, the one in UK. And it was a really new area and you were learning and, and building stuff from the ground up. And I found that really exciting. And then risk matured a little bit. We have the right frameworks in place. People were on top of it a lot more. We'd gotten through the financial crisis. And so I started to think about what was next for me. And I didn't really know what was out there because I've been do- doing risk for so long. So I remember just before Christmas, a few years ago, I just applied to a variety of senior manager roles in London at my bank because I wanted to stay with my bank. Didn't really pay a lot of attention to what I was applying to, other than I sort of thought that it might be interesting. Kind of forgot I applied for the role. I got a call, call about a month, about a month later, asking me to come in for an interview, which I gladly accepted, but I had to ask for the copy of the role profile because I couldn't remember what I applied. I, I can uh, totally uh, imagine the situation. <laughs> yeah, I know. Okay, no, what role is that? that? <laughs> yeah, I was very excited to, to have an opportunity to interview for it. And then they sent me the role profile. And I remember thinking, what on earth have I got myself into? Because <laughs> 90% of it was like reading another language. It really, I was like, I apply for this? <laughs> because there's a very small paragraph on it that talked about stakeholder management and influencing. But as I started to research for the role, 
I actually started to really understand the role that data plays. And I hadn't really understood that before then. And then I started to get really excited about the job. And so, yeah, I went through the interview process and I was very open in the interview process about my level of technical knowledge. And I sold them on the fact that if they wanted somebody who had a lot of experience in stakeholder management, a lot of experience in dealing with senior people at the bank, building a highly effective team, then that's me. They just had to get comfortable that I would get up to speed enough on the technical side of things to be able to speak to stakeholders about it. So at the right pitch, at the right level. And so I managed to sell them on that and, and they offered me the job. I was so excited because I really felt like it would take me down an entirely different career path. And I'm so grateful for, for the opportunity. It's been a fantastic change in, in career. And that's so inspiring because it's really stretching you out to, to a new area and mm-hmm. even managing to sell yourself into it. That's brilliant. Mm-hmm. So once you, you got in and you started managing the team and discovering the magical world of data, what challenges did you face? Well, there's whenever you start a new role, you're going to face multiple challenges, right? You have a brand new set of stakeholders that you need to deal with that you haven't built relationships with because you haven't dealt with them before. So that's always a, brand, a new challenge for any new role, right? The extra challenge for me, though, is building those relationships about something I know nothing about. That's a really interesting sort of challenge to be faced with is I need to go and talk to senior people in the business about how we can support them in meeting their strategy and their business goals about something I have no idea what I'm talking about. So that was a really interesting challenge to be faced with in this role that is on top of that it's a new role, it's new people, it's new peers, it's new staff. The second major challenge that we do face, and this isn't just related to me, but data and analytics is at the future of everything. And so we face major challenges all the time in terms of having enough resource to meet demand. So I I do have a lot of challenge and it still happens with trying to help stakeholders prioritize what they do and make difficult decisions when we can't do everything that they want. So those are sort of my main two challenges when I first started. And I still face them, by the way, which is talking to stakeholders at a very senior level about a topic I'm not that familiar with though I am a lot more three years on, and, and helping them understand the challenges that we face in data analytics, particularly around resourcing and the ability to do everything that they want. Because now that they understand how fantastic data is and how great it is to help them manage their business, they want so much. And, and we, it's really hard to, to be resourced to meet the demand at the moment. Yeah, resourcing and prioritization is definitely a, a common theme in the, in mm-hmm. the field. So you did say it's been three years now and mm-hmm. you still have these challenges, but I'm guessing it's getting easier. So how did you move from getting there, not knowing what it was all about to being able to do a great job? So do the great job you're doing right now. Mm-hmm. So I think one of the things I've really tried to focus on is, is still being true to myself. So I, I don't actually fake having knowledge in in meetings. Um, I'm very open that I'm, especially in the beginning, that I was new to the role, that I'm still getting up to speed. So what I was blessed with when I started is a fantastic management team, incredible group of people that are so competent and so knowledgeable about their subject matter. And so in the beginning, every time I had a meeting with a stakeholder, I would take along the subject matter expert in case the stakeholder wanted to get some of the technical details. And I'm very open about why I was doing that. 
is it all right if I bring X along? Because if we get to technical details, I want to make sure I've got somebody who can really answer your questions. And then I'm there to talk about the bigger picture stuff. And if things get difficult, I always put in place a process that I would bring along the right people to meetings, particularly in the beginning as I was getting up to speed. It also gives them great exposure. But I was always very upfront about my level of knowledge. I think the other thing that I, I've obviously had to spend time doing is carving out time to do a bit of learning and development. And it's been quite interesting to figure out what level to do that at. So I'm never going to go and do a nano degree in data science. That's something I'm never going to accomplish in my life. And I know that I'm very open about that. And I'm actually not really interested in, in knowing how to code. Even now, I wouldn't really know code when I looked at it. But what I need to be able to learn is when you use Python versus when you use SAS versus when you use another coding language, why it matters and how we can use it to help the business. So I do spend time learning and reading about things that are new to the industry, but more focused on how that can help the business. So a good example is I, a few weeks ago, I read a really interesting article about how we're moving towards a cookie-less world. So cookies are the things that we, we use to tag how people move along websites, but we're moving away from cookies. And that's something I need to know to be able to speak credibly about it with the business. So I do carve out time for learning, but I keep it pitched at the right level. And I do make sure that I have the right people in the conversations if I know it's gonna get technical. And when I recruit into my management team, I recruit people that are probably more technical than maybe one of my peers might recruit somebody less technical because I know that's a gap that needs to be filled. So I also recruit with that in mind as well. Yeah, so it's really about making sure you're surrounded by the right people mm-hmm. that actually complement your your set of skills and making sure it works for the business. Yeah, mm-hmm. really great. Yeah, finding people, exactly what you said, to complement the skill gap that you have while still trying to, f- trying to fill that gap to the best of your ability. Because at my level, it's about being credible with the stakeholders. I don't need to know the specifics of the very technical details, but I need to be able to speak credibly. And that's what I spend my, my time on. Yeah. As a team leader, you have quite a, a broad team working on different things. How, do you, how are you able to manage them? If you, you said yourself, you are not able to code, uh, you're more into the stakeholder management. How are you able to, to make it work? It's been, a, it's been a really interesting journey. And the data and analytics, people are definitely different mindset than me, right? So I've had to, I've had to learn about the different kind of personalities involved and, and to adjust my management style accordingly. And that's, it's been, it's been a really fascinating journey actually, but as any, any people manager should always adjust their management style to the people that, that they're managing. When people ask me what I do, my first response is really, I work in data and analytics. My first response is usually that I'm a people leader. And that's really what I see my role as. And I've always pitched myself in this role as that's what I'm there to do. And I've always been very open about it. So I spend the majority of my time on the people side of things. I have a very detailed people plan in place. And I spend quite a bit of time talking to stakeholders as well. But the people plan is there. And I spend a lot of time making sure that we're on top of it. I do a lot of communication. I do a lot of coaching a lot of skip levels with more junior staff to follow up on how they're doing, gently pushing them to, to develop themselves. 
So I spend a lot of my time really making sure that I've got a highly effective, highly performing team in place that are engaged, as happy as they can be, focus on, on well-being and, and pushing them to develop. And I've all my mantra, and I'm always very open about this in my role as well, is if you get the people side right, everything else comes. And I have found that by focusing on the people side of things, which is my wheelhouse, right, which is where my skill set lies, the delivery comes because you're, you're giving that people the empowerment to get on and do the technical delivery. You're creating a culture where they feel like they can fail and not be blamed for it. You're creating a culture of open communication and escalation when there's risk issues, which in my department, there's a lot of risk when there's customer contact. And it has really, it really been an, an interesting process, but I have built a team that's very technical, fantastic delivery, but actually my role has really been about tone and culture and people. And that's really where I focus a lot of my time at stakeholder management. Yeah. I am going to shamelessly steal your mantra and stick it on my word. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it sounds very great. So you're getting involved in all the people side of things. So this is, mm-hmm. I can hear it. This is what you're passionate about. Mm-hmm. Obviously, having a technical team means that some of your managers are going to be technical themselves. How do you support them in being better people managers? So... It's really interesting to see when technical people become managers, right? Because they've kind of gone on that journey and they've been doing technical stuff all the time. Suddenly they're thrust into this manager position because they want to grow their career. And quite often growing your career means managing people. It's the first time they're doing it. Sometimes it takes a while for people to get used to. I think there's two aspects to it. One is they've got the technical stuff nailed, right? So I don't really spend a lot of time on that, because also because I can't really help them, right? So I spend a lot of time on the soft skill stuff. I set very clear expectations of managers in my team of how I expect them to manage their teams. I do formal training for new line managers in my team and I outline the expectations. I give them coaching on how to do things like performance reviews, um, how to have difficult conversations. And I do quite a lot of formal training, particularly for new line managers in my team. And I do a lot of coaching on that. The other thing that we spend a lot of time focusing on for technical managers is how to talk to stakeholders. Because I do see a lot of the time in more technical, people with more technical skill sets is they are so, so incredibly smart. And the stuff that they're doing kind of blows my mind sometimes, right? But they struggle to tell the story, right? They get bogged down in the details of what they've done and the technical details. And you need to bring that up a level. When you think about it, every manager kind of goes on a bit of a journey, right? When you're more junior position, you're the doer, you execute, right? When you become a line manager for the first time, you're usually managing a couple of people. You're still doing stuff. You still have to deliver, but now you're maybe delegating some of the tasks to some of the people in your team in that hybrid. You're still doing, but you're also doing a bit of line manager. When you start to manage larger teams, that's no longer possible, And one of the things that it's really hard to transition, and I went through this myself, is delivering through others. And when you start to manage larger teams, you need to learn how to give up control and not be in the weeds and not be in the technical details. And you need to learn how to deliver through others. And that is really hard. And I've had a few conversations with some of my line managers because you get to the end of the year and you do performance review. And it's really hard to say what you've done because you actually haven't delivered anything yourself. 
everything has been delivered through your team. And that's really hard for new line managers to get used to that lack of control and fully trusting the people in your team to do that and letting them fail occasionally. That's also something that I do a lot of coaching on and training on new line managers is how to let people fail. And that's a really hard behavior for people to learn. The last transition is manager to leader, right? And that's, I think the most important thing about being a leader is developing future leaders and helping them think about strategy. How do they set the tone? How do they set the culture? So that journey, I spend quite a bit of time with technical managers, helping them along that journey from new line manager, managing a large team and giving it control to actually becoming a future leader. Yeah. I'm sitting here nosing, thinking, yes, yes, mm. <laughs> I hear that. I come from a technical background myself and first-time manager. And I can totally relate to the difficulty of letting go of some of the work. So, yes, I'm still hands-on because mm. first-time manager, as you mentioned, you do a bit of both. But trusting someone to to do the work. And also, I think there is this thing about well, yeah, but I come from an analytics background. If I'm not doing the work, I'm not an analyst. And what am I doing? So it's, it's very, <laughs> so it's, really, it's, oh, it's, it's super hard. confusing. And I think too, and I, you know, I'm broad stroke here. So I apologize if, if it's broad, but I do find a lot of people in data analytics are perfectionists, right? So it's, and that's, that's also really hard to give up control when you're a perfectionist and you're really passionate about data and getting, it's really hard to give out that control and let somebody else manage it and be in charge of it. And so it's, it's also that mentality, right? Of actually is the 80, 20 rule, right? Does yeah. everything have to be perfect all the time? And sometimes it's better to get a proof of concept at the door rather than waiting for it to be perfect. But these are all things that, that new line managers, particularly who've come up from the technical side of things really have to spend a lot of time getting used to and, and, and learning. It's a skill set, right? Learning to give up control and trust people is actually a skill that needs to be to be learned. Yeah. And I think another another thing that's a bit scary is because technology moves so fast, it feels <laughs> like if you if you let go of the technical side of things, that's it. You're done because you're never going to be able to go back again. It's it's a real yeah, we've had quite a few conversations about when you become so at my level I'm comfortable that I don't need to follow all the technical details. But when you're at that level below where you, you're still required to be have that technical knowledge, but you're now also doing the leadership stuff, is how technical do you still need to be, right? So you're right. It feels like every week there's something new, right? New visualization tool, Kafka, Snowflake. You know, we've got the cloud. We've got on-premise cloud. And like it kind of makes my head hurt sometimes just thinking about it. You know, I can get away with know it just knowing the high level, but you're right. That management layer beneath me needs to know a lot more of the technical detail. But how technical do you have to be? And if you're right, if you're not doing it, you start to lose like any language. If you're not using the language, you start to lose the ability to speak that language. And coding language is the same. So it's a really kind of fascinating thing to kind of see and navigate. And it's, it's not easy. Yeah, so if you had to tell first-time managers two things that you believe they should definitely focus on in the maybe first year of, of their role, what would that be? So if you're in a situation like myself, where you're a non-technical person, you're a first-time manager of technical people, I guess my advice would be 
Um, and this kind of rolls into confidence, which I'm, I'm sure is a topic of potential other podcasts is, is how to be confident and not in that imposter syndrome, but know your strengths and play to them, right? Remember and be confident that you bring something different to the table, which is just as important as the technical side of things. So it's remi- reminding yourself when you're in that data engineering conversation and you've lost the plot after five minutes, and you don't have a clue what's going on. Remember and be confident that you bring a different skill set to the table, which is really important. Surround yourself with people who do know the technical side of things and use them to help you do, do your job and just learn enough to be credible with stakeholders. So that would be advice for people in my, with my kind of background who are taking on a technical time, technical team is know your strengths and play to them. If you're a technical person like yourself, Karen, kind of moving up the, the career ladder and you're moving into line management, the best tip I think I would give if you want to continue to grow your career is know how to tell the story. And that's the biggest skills gap I do see. Like I said before, you can do a fantastic piece of analysis or your team does, but if you don't know how to tell it in a compelling way to the business, then it's going to be really hard to be seen as a trusted advisor by the business. So focus less on the what you've done or the how you've done it and more on what's the business problem that you're trying to solve. Why does it matter? What's the benefit to the customer or the business? So I think for people, technical people stepping up to management, one of the biggest skills that you need to learn and really improve to continue to grow in your career is know how to tell the story um, and focus on it from the business aspect rather than the technical data aspect. All right. Thank you. We could talk about that forever. I'm mm-hmm. very, very fascinated listening to everything mm-hmm. you're saying. I will put you on the spot, Bianca. I'm really sorry. No, go uh, for it. For the whole of April, I've been asking people for the, the one-year anniversary of the podcast what it is that it means for them to have a fulfilling career. So you're the last episode for April. So what does it mean for you? So... I think it's probably different for everybody. Given the, the stage that I'm in, in my life, I'm, I'm not married and I don't have children. And so for me, my career is really the main way I identify and, and feel proud about myself. So it's the main thing in my life. So having a fulfilling career is really what, what gets me up in the morning because that's the main aspect of my life. I think we spend a lot of time at work and if it's not fulfilling, it's not enjoyable, it's not worth it. And life is short. It's too short to be doing something that doesn't fulfill you. It's been, I've been very privileged in my life to have gotten to where I, where I am. I also have worked really hard for it, but I am grateful for everything that I have. And I do, I do really enjoy what I do. And it has, it brings me a lot of confidence and self-worth that I've managed to build a really fulfilling career. It, it just feels really good because that's one of the main ways I identify my, my worth that makes sense it does <laughs> thanks for sharing mm-hmm. thank you so much for joining me today Bianca on the women in data podcast thank you very much for having me it's been a pleasure thank you for listening to the women in data podcast if you don't want to miss the next episode make sure you follow us on spotify apple podcast or on linkedin you can also register to the community for free by heading to womenindata.co.uk We would love to hear from you, so don't be shy and drop us some feedback or a review. This will help us enhance the content and bring the guests that you want to hear from. Have a great day.